0: Hello, everyone. This particular series has taken over two years to write and deliver to you, all without interruptions from advertisers, and I would have it no other way. In return, it would mean the world to me if you could take a few minutes to leave a positive review on Apple Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, and welcome to Time for a Story, Scary Stories from a Small Town in Maine. Season 4, Chapter 8, First Light. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Martin Luther King, Jr. Everything starts with light. Even the color gray knows this, shifting from green to blue to purple, depending on the angle of our sun and whomever is watching. For most living creatures, to awaken is to observe light. The hour before the dawn is the anticipation of light, the soft ringing of the pre bell that calls color and promise to the breakfast table. Here, the trees end their night duty as silhouettes, slowly yawning themselves back into exquisite shades of brown and green. Our expectation of light is the motivation for life. How remarkable it is that, in order to see how light is reflected and absorbed, we need the presence of microscopic things, tiny rods and cones too small to be seen by the naked eye, and yet, The comprehension of what is illuminated requires life experience. Indeed, to appreciate the complexity of color that brown is not brown, but reddish-green algae with flecks of blue sky and yellow moss, it takes more than anatomy. It takes hope. Hope is the source of inner light. The difference between seeing and feeling, between sweetness and sawdust, is a choice. It is the certainty that tomorrow will be better than yesterday, and that fresh starts are only natural, like the turning of twilight. It is the understanding that, to have a private conversation with the sky, you must show up. And so, despite the odds, you do, again and again. And since you're here, why not appreciate the crisp edges of an autumn frost, or the miracle of a sunrise. You've come so far already. Yes. Go ahead, stretch your legs and check out the gift shop. Take it all in. You already know that there will be plenty of time for closed eyes. When you're dead. Ed had left his body. He was letting his limbs do the unthinkable while he floated along the edge of the forest where it was still, and he was still himself. He had been a child of the city, a corporate executive who had experienced the magnetic pull of the mountains much later in life, and then could think of nothing else. Only the forest could heal him. If he was screaming, he could not hear it. His mind was elsewhere. Morning had arrived, doing its best to be useful as it illuminated the chaos of the scene with a raised eyebrow and a tentative beam of muted light. Here, hell had arranged itself in a tie-dye pattern, splattering outward with Ed dead center. The man was breathing hard, his pupils big as manhole covers, as they worked to protect his brain from what could only come later. To compartmentalize grief, to wrap it in silk and tuck it deep in the far reaches of comprehension is one way to survive, and survive he must, because Nathan was still outside, and so was Samantha. The room was quiet, Amelia was dead, and so was the thing that had attacked them so viciously. Ed was searching for something to cover his beloved friend with. He found nothing. And so he removed his bandana and, with great care, placed it over her face. Then he kissed her hand, and he fled the room. He was moving fast, bouncing off the high piles of hoarded filth and stirring up the sickening odor of rot. His right arm stabbed at the blackness of the narrow path leading him toward the main room. If something was between him and his exit, he wanted his blade to find it first. Keep moving, keep moving. Finally, he could see the outline of the front entrance. He rushed it, flinging himself out and onto the front of the ATV that he had parked only steps away. Being outside was bitter relief for a broken man who could not rest. Like the house, the yard was a junk heap, and Ed considered every shady patch of it as his eyes searched for Nathan. If he called out, he might attract something else to his presence, and so he stood silent while his eyes did the work. Left, right, right, left. He had the house behind him and the yard and the woods before him, and there was no sign of the sheriff. Nathan should have returned by now. Piles of old lawn equipment, rusting cars, heaps of corrugated metal, and a broken-down ambulance. He could see it all now. Every inch of the debris spray-painted in a strange black writing. The oily evil of the scene and Amelia's passing was too much to handle alone. Amelia is gone, Nathan! But there was no Nathan to unload to and Ed's body was beginning its inevitable response to the reality of what he had done. His eyes flooded with a steady river of despair while he worked his way around in the driver's sign of the vehicle. And that's where he found the sheriff. Nathan had located the path to the pond and followed the littered trail of debris until it opened up to a small clearing and a very neglected wooden dock. All the while, he clutched the gathered edges of the blood-stained sheet, doing his best to limit the number of times the heavy parcel slammed against his body. Carefully, he stepped out onto the structure, testing as he moved to make sure the decay could hold his weight. No words of remembrance, nothing thoughtful to say. There wasn't time. He placed the collection of remains down into the water, hoping his decision to weigh it down with rocks would be enough. To his relief, the pond took it all. And but for the displacement of several floating beer cans and spent cigarettes, the rippled water received the sheriff's burden. Hurry back to her now, the pond reflected, still naive to their chances. Samantha could not believe her luck. A vehicle was parked at the house. Someone was here, and this meant that she could replenish herself, that she would have the sweet relief of a short rest. Her companion was already struggling, and so he rushed ahead, moving around to the back of the house for the advantage of surprise. For both of them, the relentless compulsion to stave off the agony had become ridiculous, impossible even. What once had yielded days of luscious vitality, now barely helped at all. Despite her fear of the impending pain, Samantha remained fixated on the machine that was parked so close to the entranceway. It was an enormous all-terrain vehicle, and it was fitted with custom metal boxes, baskets, and bars. She caressed the leather steering wheel and flicked the keys that dangled from the ignition. The giant four-seater was spotless, impeccably organized, and expensive-looking. Something felt familiar. "'You there!' she heard a voice say. Samantha turned, grinning with gusto, and there, to her delight, stood Nathan Randall. He had come to her. His life force was arousing, and so she touched herself, "'massaging her hips and belly with her dead hands. "'Such a big man. "'She would take her time with him. Well, oh, hello,' she flirted back "'while puckering her lips and flipping her hair. "'She had forgotten that her eyes were black "'and her neck, once broken, "'had fused itself into a crooked line. "'I can feel your heartbeat, Sheriff. "'Oh, yeah?' he answered, knowing full well what it would take to prevent this phrase from ever being spoken again. Whatever Nathan was or was not, his mistakes and regrets, his stoic nature and pathological sense of responsibility, it had all prepared him for this moment. He was here, the time was now, and facing Samantha was his responsibility, just as it had been with Abram White. Reflexively, Nathan wanted his pistol, but he forced his hand to keep moving until he could reach the blade that hung from his belt. The tool was a machete, silver-plated, and easy to maneuver. Ed was carrying a longer version of the same thing. What's the matter? Cat got your tongue, Sheriff? Samantha could barely contain her excitement. Nope. Nathan said, his mouth dry as sand. Like a trained athlete, he kept his eyes locked on her torso while he worked to position himself between her and the entrance to the house where Amelia was waiting. The pain was like a thunderbolt entering in through his neck and squeezing his lungs. In a nanosecond, the shadow had left her spot by the ATV and was on him. All at once, he was under a heavy weight, unable to breathe, unable to stand. In a desperate heave, Nathan flailed and pointed the blade upward. It grazed one of Samantha's arms, and she pulled back. Nathan stood up and spun his body around to face her, his right arm extending the blade to prevent a second attack. He could not let her enter the house. Samantha's flesh burned and it took a moment to assess the gash. The sheriff planned to strike again, but he felt strangely wet. To his surprise, he was bleeding heavily, his own shirt now wicking the same dark liquid that had covered the sheeted remains. He stumbled forward, leaning on the ATV for balance. Like a wildfire, Samantha was back, grabbing at his 200 pounds as though he were nothing at all. Such strength, he thought, too busy to panic. Repeatedly, he swung upward until the machete made contact. This time, he heard Samantha make a grunting sound. She released her grip and reached for her face. In the early morning of the yard, Nathan could see his silver blade extending from just under her right cheekbone. She was on the ground, her back arching in shock as she tugged at the handle. Nathan was pressing his left hand on his neck, instinctively doing what he could to stop the steady flow of life force that Samantha had wanted for herself. She had opened him, but that was all she'd had time for. He staggered, grabbing for the front grill of the ATV for balance. He held on and pulled himself forward, back to the writhing body that was still alive. Quickly, He dropped to his knees and leaned downward onto the blade's handle, letting the weight of his wilting body do the work until the tip connected with the ground. When it could go no further, his right hand soaked with the certainty that he was nearly out of time, grasped the handle, swiftly pulling it up and then down again. This final blow had sapped the last few ounces of Nathan's strength, and he collapsed back against the driver's side of the ATV. The fury of the attack had lasted less than a minute, but it was over now. The yard was still. The first of the sun's rays had rushed to the sheriff's side, warming his feet and legs. He could hear a cluster of robins as they searched for food. It was cold, and a frost was imminent. Nathan Was shivering. I always wanted a dog. He was imagining himself bringing a puppy home to Amelia, and this made him smile. It's going to be a bluebird day. No clouds. His mind was drifting, taking him back to sacred places deep in the backcountry, places he hadn't been to in years. The sun, now in full splendor, reflected off of the polished paint of the ATV as it hurried to heat the sheriff's red shoulders. He felt so sleepy. Maybe he could close his eyes and rest, just for a minute. Samantha was dead. He had saved Amelia. That was enough for him. Nathan, the protector, was down and the news was traveling across the water and through the trees. It stirred the leaves and echoed off of the mountains. Even the north wind held its breath so as not to disturb Nathan's passing. The robins, too, had stopped their scratch-scratching and observed the moment. Yes, Nathan, it's okay. You can rest now. First Light, written and performed by Virgin Emmons. Follow me on Instagram at main stories and visit my website at virginemmons.com. Thanks for listening.